Good morning, chap. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, it's always good. It's always good to see just God's faithfulness and just seeing, you know, some of y'all see people getting baptized, see them going underwater water, coming back up. I see answered prayers. And I, I know some of the stories behind those stories of just waiting on the Lord and waiting on his faithfulness, waiting on his goodness, waiting uh, for people's wills to be transformed by the grace of God and just seeing it always just encourages me and strengthens my faith tremendously. And so I, I just want to just honor the Lord just for his faithfulness and so many stories. I'm just grateful. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 13. I will close this series up next week. Uh, and in the fall, after Labor Day, I'm going to walk through the book of Galatians for the entire fall. And so we'll be walking through that. Um, a lot of good stuff going on. Our girls are moving off. Uh, you know, college is back. We have a lot of stuff going on at the college campus uh, with Pastor Jason just trying to reach and be an influence on the college campus coming up. And so I want to ask you, uh, that I think God strategically placed Christ Chapel in Florence to reach the UNA campus. And so I want to ask you to begin praying with us for that campus to be reached by the gospel. Let's see a revival happen on the campus as the kids come back. And so I uh, ask you to do that with me. So, you know, I grew up, some of you know my story, I grew up in a kind of a rough environment. I grew up different perspectives, uh, very similar to Florence in some ways, where you can have many different people in the same school system, but totally different perspectives on life. And so as I've gotten older, I've wondered sometimes how, you know, two people can see the same thing, but see something completely different, right? You see the same thing. You go through the same life experiences. Maybe you had the same type of upbringing. Maybe you both came from broken homes, or maybe both of you went through a divorce, or maybe both of you lost a job, or maybe both of you grew up in the same household and see things so differently. And so I've wondered that for so many years, uh, and lately I was reading a book by John Gordon called One Truth, which some of this comes from that. And he kind of finally answered that question. And so I've seen this meme a couple years ago. Throw this up there. Some of you may have seen this. It, it, some of it's a cartoon. It says, two sons of an alcoholic father. One struggles through life as a drunk. The other becomes a successful and sober businessman. Somebody asked them, why are you the way you are? And both responded with the same answer. My father was an alcoholic. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to that that matters. And so what I've learned is two people can have the same experience, but one comes out as an overcomer and one comes out as a victim. One comes out victorious and one comes out feeling like they're defeated. One comes out full of faith and expectation. The other comes out with doubt. One comes out full of peace. One comes out full of anxiety. And what I've learned is it's not the circumstances that matter. It's the mindset you have through the circumstances that matter. And so in this scripture today, if you're going to be brave, if you're going to be an overcomer, if you're going to be victorious, you have to know how important your mindset is. So in Numbers chapter 13, many of you know this story, if you grew up in church, story of Joshua and Caleb, Moses and the Israelites are ready to cross over the Jordan River to walk into the promised land. They've been waiting 40 years, wandering in the desert. I'm sure when they go to sleep at night, they're asking each other, you know, what's it going to be like? Well, you know, Moses said it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a promised land. It's everything our forefathers, our ancestors waited 400 years in slavery waiting for. This land that God promised Abraham. It's a land with riches and prosperity and peace and freedom and liberty. They've been describing it and thinking about it for 40 years every single day. And now they can see it. But when they see it, there's two different responses to it. And so I'm going to read verses just one through, I think, three for a second. 
The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send me, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving. Everybody say giving. So God is telling them, I'm giving you this land to the people of Israel. From each tribe of the fathers, you will send a man, everyone a chief among them. Skip down to verses 17. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see. Everybody say see. He's wanting them to see something. He wants the vision to come clear and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether there are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. But be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land. From the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near Lebo, Hamath. You know, when you read those big words in, in the Old Testament, just, just no one knows how to pronounce them. Just say whatever you want to. <laughs> no one knows, oh, he's really smart. No, I just made that up. <laughs> they went up to the Negev and came to Hebron. Uh, do it again. Haman, Sheshai, Talmai, and the descendants of Anak who were there. For Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch and was a single cluster of grapes. They carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought back some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. So they go and they see this land, and it is exactly like God told them. They bring back the, the fruit. They bring back these grapes that was so heavy and so big, they had to put it on two poles and carry it between two. Could you imagine if you went to Publix and bought some grapes, you had to put it on some poles and carry it out with two people? Like, you know, what I used to think was that, you know, this is my non-church background, that Willy Wonka, the chocolate fact, the girl turns into the grape. I thought it was like, like one big grape that they were carrying. But there was a cluster that was so big because God is a God of more than enough. It's not always flamboyant where it's one big grape. It's just more than enough. It's, it's prosperous. It's multiplied. So he sends them, they see it, but here's the report. At the end of 40 days, 40 is always the time of testing or temptation in the Bible. They return from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So it's not hearsay. They're actually showing them the goodness and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. And it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. And however, everybody say however. Oh, Lord, however people. The people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the land of the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report to the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And for all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. It's incredible. The story, when you actually dig into it, it's incredible, the mindsets within these people, that they've been waiting to see the promise of God. They've been waiting to see the fruition of the promise of God. Their ancestors, for 400 years, what led them and kept them from going crazy in bondage and slavery was the stories of this promise. 
Yeah, we're suffering. We're, we're in bondage, but our ancestors are going to inherit the promised land. And that promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and now there's a generation that gets to see it. Not just hear about it. They see the land. They see the dirt. They see the trees, and they even see the fruit. But when they see it, all of a sudden, they don't see it. Joshua and Caleb see it, but these other ten, they, they see it, but they don't see it. They, they, they see it, but they don't really comprehend what they're seeing. They see the promise, but it's almost like they forget about the God of the promise. And they say this, they say, however, Joshua and Caleb gives an amazing viewpoint. Hey, look, here's the grapes. Here's the promises. It's exactly like God told us. It's flowing with milk and honey. And have you ever seen somebody that when there could be a great joy in the air and somebody else can just suck all the joy out of the air? That's what these other ten are. They're however people. And you've got to be very careful around however people. Because every time you start to talk about how good God is, it's, well, however, or, or but, or, or, you know, God's going to do this, well, however. See, however people are faith stealers. However people are promise thieves. However people are what I used to call joy suckers. They're the Eeyore type people that no matter how good the day is, it's still gloomy and raining. No matter how big the cluster of grapes are, the giants are always bigger. Henry Thoreau said, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. And however, people, they always see a problem with every single solution. No matter what the solution is, here's the promise, we got it, they see all the problems. Well, yeah, you know, it is flowing with milk and honey. It does have these grapes, it has all this. But look at all the problems that stand in our way. And they find every single issue of why they shouldn't walk in the promises of God. They see all the issues of why they can't overcome and walk in the promises of God. They see all the burdens and the giants and the enemies. But what they don't see, what our people don't see, is the goodness and faithfulness and power of God. And why do they not see it? Because your mindset determines what you see more than your eyes do. Your mindset determines what you see more than your eyes. So you need to know this, that everything you want, just like the Israelites, everything you want is on the other side of what you fear the most. Everything. For some of you, that may be internal healing, that you want to be healed, you want freedom, you want deliverance, but it's on the other side of, of actually beginning to unpack those wounds or those issues. For some of you, it may be overcoming your financial issues and your financial burdens, but what it's going to do is overcoming your fear of pride and letting somebody else in to help you through that. For some of you, it's going to be overcoming maybe sickness in your body. You're going to have to overcome that, that fear and that discomfort of maybe, just maybe, coming down to the altar and letting somebody lay hands on you and anoint you with oil, like it says in James chapter 5. See, many times your greatest days are ahead of you, but there's something standing between you and your greatest days. And it's that fear. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control. And so these two groups, they both see the promise, but there's two responses. Literally, God says, I'm giving you this land. He shows you the land. And this one group is, but however, however, there's all these issues. See, they see the same thing. But what happens is adversity has different effects on different types of people. When you face adversity, for some people, it drives them to overcome. 
And for some people, it drives them to give up. For some people, they, for every promise, all they see is the giants. And for other people, when they see the giants, all they can see is the promise. And if you're going to be an overcomer, every time there's a giant, what that means is there's a promise in the waiting. Every time you see an enemy, it means there's a new promise that's ahead of you. That fear that pushes you back is actually the enemy's intimidation technique because he knows you're right on the cusp of walking in your promised land. So you either overcome or you're overcome. That's just the story. The Bible has so many different biblical characters that either you, you rise up and you overcome what's in front of you or you're overcome by it. And the difference is not necessarily the circumstances. It's not even necessarily God. What makes the difference is how you see God in the circumstances, how you see him at work in your life in that particular place. And so for so many people, they push, instead of pushing forward, they pull back. In Numbers 14, verse 2 through 4, it says this, And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What would cause, they literally sold the promise. They sold the grapes. They saw the land flowing with milk and honey. But here they are, they'd rather go back to bondage than overcome what's standing in their way. And for so many people, when you come against adversity, here's what happens. You either push through it into your promise or you pull back and go backwards. And when you push forward, it may hurt. You may even fail. You may even fall. But when you push forward, you always fall forward. But when you pull back, the next time you face adversity, it may be a smaller giant. It may be a a different report. But it always seems bigger than the one you faced before. Because just as faith grows as you overcome, fear grows as you pull back. And here you have a whole group of people, a whole generation of people that said, we would rather go back into slavery. We'd rather go back in the wilderness and wander and die than to walk in the promise of God. Do you realize that people don't walk in the promises not because God is not faithful, because they're too scared to overcome the giant standing in their way? That's pitiful. That breaks my heart. There were so many people in this room and people I know that they'd rather go back into slavery. And so you need to know this. Don't allow your current struggle no matter what it may be, don't allow your current issue or struggle push you back into a past bondage. Like you have to understand this, that so many people I've watched, man, it's heartbreaking as a pastor. You'll see them overcome so much. You'll see them overcome alcoholism. You'll see them overcome stuff in their finances, overcome stuff in their doubt or anxiety or fear. And they overcome so much and it's like they've left Egypt. They're walking through the wilderness. And all of a sudden there's a new obstacle, a new life situation, new life experience, a new giant, a new burden. And see, what happens when you back down from the giants in front of you, you don't just back down one step. You end up going all the way back to your past struggle. Because at least the past struggle is a place that feels like safety compared to the new giants you face. 
And I want to tell you that God is not a God that takes you directly from Egypt all the way to the promised land. He's a God that is grace upon grace upon grace. He gives you grace for today, then grace for tomorrow, grace for the next day. He gives you grace from Egypt into the wilderness, year one, year two, year three. Then when the new giant comes, there's grace for that too. But you have to build grace upon grace upon grace to walk in your promises. And so what you need to know is this, that your life right now is only as good as your mindset. You can have a wilderness mindset, you can have an Egypt mindset, or you can have a promised land mindset. And when you have a promised land mindset, you realize out of these 12 spies, only two get to walk in the promises. And those two are the ones that had a mindset that God is more than enough to conquer the current adversity. The other 10 who backed down and were afraid end up dying in the wilderness exactly where they wanted to be because they didn't want to face those giants. And so right now, you are a byproduct of your mindset. So the question would be, is your mindset that is an overcomer? That no matter what comes your way, my God is more than enough. No matter what comes against you, God is faithful. He's been faithful in the past. He's faithful today. Or is it every time something happens, you backtrack in that however mindset, yeah, what's different this time? You know, last time I was younger, I had a little bit more energy. Last time, you know, I had people around. This, and it's however, and you go in this however mindset. If you try to find a reason not to trust God, you'll always find a reason. But if you try to find a reason to trust God, you will always find a reason. It's your mindset that makes up the difference. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your minds. Romans 8, 5, and 7. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. What Paul is saying is just what God was trying to get across to these ten spies, that what you set your mind on produces what you have in life. If you set your mind on doubt, you'll be full of doubt. If you set your mind on the flesh, you'll be full of sin. But if you set your mind on the Spirit of God, it'll be full of life and of peace. Your mindset determines how good or how bad your life is. God is consistent. Like God is consistently consistent. Job, even when he's going through hell and high water, God was consistent. What made Job an overcomer? His mindset. You look throughout the Bible, even Jesus suffering in the garden. God was consistent. What changed and what said he set his mind on things above, not things beneath. Your mindset is that important. And as I'm, I'm about to break down a little bit of this, this book, if you don't know who John Gordon is, incredible author, Christian author, does a lot of athletics, sports stuff, coaching, motivation. This, this book, this one truth, he breaks down all of his books into this one truth, that your mindset is the most important thing about you. And he actually says there's two different mindsets. He said there's a high mindset and a low mindset. He said when you see two people going through the same situation, one's overcome and one is not, it's because one has a high mindset. I mean, their mind is clear. It's full of hope. It's full of focus. It's full of joy. But a low mindset is a mindset that's full of clutter, anxiety, frustration, fear, doubt. You feel consumed by your thoughts instead of consuming 
which you should be thinking about. He actually said this way, a low state of mind is characterized by a lot of thought, a lot of clutter, fear, anxiety, worry, insecurity, and or doubt. A high state of mind consists of a lot of clarity, focus, belief, and confidence. That's why you could see two different people in sports go through the same dramatic struggle, and one just looks confident, and the other one looks fearful. It's not about the person. It's about the mindset of the person. If you throw that first circle up, here's how he explains it. He said, a low mindset, you're full of all these different thoughts. What if this? What if this? You know, what if this happens? I'm, you know, is God real? Is this? You know, you go, and your mind is anxious because there's too many thoughts that are flooding your mind. But a high mindset, you have this clarity. And, and I think you see this in the scripture. These 10 spies, they look at the promise. Yeah, there, there's grapes there. And yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey. But look at these Ananites. Look at these uh, uh, Nephilim. Look at these guys. Look at these guys. Look at this. We, we can't ever say it's strong. And they have all these thoughts. And what it does, it reduces the mindset. But Joshua and Caleb, they don't even talk about the giants in the scripture. They said, no, no, God gave it to us, and we are more than able to overcome. See, this high mindset is what allows certain people to overcome things that other people succumb to. And what it really comes down to is where do you set your mind? In that next little illustration, he talks about these low mindsets or these low moments of life where it just feels like you're flooded with negativity. But then you have these high moments with these high thoughts. He said, what happens, it's like on a roller coaster. Right, if you've never been on a roller coaster before, what happens is when you go down, it can be exhilarating or scary, right? But if you've never been on a roller coaster before, if you didn't know the roller coaster at some point would come back up, you feel like you're dying continually. And so what happens when people are in this low mindset is this where anxiety dwells because you're in this constant state of adrenaline rush and fear and anxiety and stress and doubt and worry. And here's the goal. As long as you stay on the roller coaster, at some point it comes back up. And so when you're in these low state of minds like these other ten, just don't jump off the roller coaster and go back to Egypt. Just don't jump off the roller coaster and go back to the wilderness. Hold on because God works all things together to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. See, this mindset is powerful. You either have a faith mindset or a fear mindset. And what is huge is you get to determine what that is. Because the brain is like an antenna. right? An antenna it, it receives signals and transmits signals. And for years, we thought the brain was kind of the, the, the focal point of thoughts. Do you realize they've never found a thought on an MRI scan? They've been trying for 50 years in psychology to find a thought in a brain. They can't find it. Why? Because the brain is almost the processor of thoughts. It's not actually producing the thoughts. They actually, John Gordon argues, and many psychologists argue, that thoughts come from somewhere deeper, which is probably your soul, where your soul is what's producing thoughts. Your brain is where they're kind of processed out. And so your brain is more of an antenna that picks up the frequencies or signals, right? And so if you don't know what that is, I, when I was in the Air Force, I did intelligence. And I was stationed in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, which is the middle of nowhere in the desert. It's like, it's 10 miles from Tombstone, Arizona. So I get there. I remember I flew from basic training uh, to Fort Huachuca in the middle of the night. And I woke up, and I, I thought we were on Mars. I look out the window. Everything's red. There's no green. There's no, and I, I literally thought, they took this plane a little too high. Like, this is not good. 
and we land, and it's like the Wild West. I remember I started learning how to use radios and signals intelligence equipment. And so one of those was the antennas. We would run through the desert for PT in the morning, and there's army units, and the Air Force hates the army, and the army hates the Air Force. It's just the way it is. But if, if we go to war, we'll work it out and figure out a way to win, and we come back, we'll hate each other again, right? Because I've heard all the jokes, all oh, the Air Force, y'all, don't, y'all are the chair force. That's what they used to call us. Well, you know what? When the army starts getting beat, who do they call? The Air Force. And so there's all these arguments and fights. And I remember we'd run PT early in the morning out in the desert. We'd run around this mountain and come back. And there was an Army Signals Corps that was out there. And they'd have these big backpacks on with these huge six-foot whip antennas. And so we'd see the guys the night before. They'd run their mouth and talk to this truck. We would run by and hit those big antennas. And they would swing forward and swing them back. They looked like a bunch of turtles on their backs. And so the, I, I learned all these signals intelligence stuff. And, but we had these tuners, right? So we had antennas that we had set outside and you could tune that antenna to certain frequencies. You could tune it to a higher frequency or a lower frequency. Sometimes if you're off of that frequency just a little bit, it was a little staticky, a little white noise. But if you hit that frequency just right, the communication would be extremely clear and you could pick up the correct signals. In the same way with your brain, when you're in a high state of mind, it's like you've tuned in to, to God's will or his promises or his peace, and it seems really clear, it seems really focused. But when you're not tuned in correctly, what it sounds like is you're tuned off and you pick up a lot of noise, a lot of white noise, a lot of static, and you can't really hear what God is saying. It's not really clear. And I I feel like these 10 spies, they tried to tune in. Joshua and Caleb are tuned right in. God said it. We are able. These other 10, it's like, yeah, but uh, I think I heard God say that, but, but, you know, all I hear is giants and this and this. And they start, it's white noise. And the problem is you get to choose which frequency you set. You could set them on high frequencies or low frequencies. Your brain is not telling you what to believe. You are telling your brain what to think. And when you understand that, Paul is over, set your mind, set your mind. Your mindset determines everything else about you. Your mindset is not necessarily what happens to you. Your mindset is where you choose to set your mind. I think we try to over-spiritualize, well, your mindset, your mindset, your mindset. No, your mindset just means your mindset is where you set your mind. It's what you tune into. It's what you allow to go into your brain. It's what you allow to think upon. It's literally, you can set your mind in faith, like Joshua and Caleb. They set their mind, Mama, I'm going to see, I'm going to think. My mindset is God told me, and I'm going to do it. And they set their mind. No one could persuade them otherwise. The other 10 spies, hey, we can't go, we can't overcome, we can't do this. But then you have the other 10 and the rest of the congregation who decided to set their mind on things that are fearful. I will tell you, if you sit in fear, sitting, your mindset of fear is nothing more than dwelling on things as if God is not real. But when you set your mind on the things of God, it's resting in the promises of God. Joshua and Caleb didn't even say, hey, we have to get his arm together. No, they said, hey, God, God gave it to us. They were rested. They were at peace. Why? Because when your mindset is on things that are above, when your mindset is on things, the spirit of life, it's literally where you're sitting in the goodness and faithfulness and promises of God. Now, what happens with believers, James says, a double-minded man doesn't accomplish anything. 
And what a double-minded man is, is somebody that comes to church on Sunday, I see baptism, I sing a little bit of worship, pastor preached a, a message, like I'm full of faith. And then Sunday happens, and you, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're anxious, you're worried about this because it's like God didn't come with you. And then you come back on Sunday, and you come back and you're double-wavered. If you're double-wavered, you know where that gets you? In the wilderness. It doesn't get you to the promises. And so you get to choose, am I going to rest in the promises? Am I going to set my mind on the things of God? Or am I going to set my mind on all the adversity, all the opposition, all the reasons to be afraid, all the chaos, all the issues, all the things? You get to choose. And so for us in the room, here's what we got to do. We have to learn to reset our mindset. Touch your name and say reset. 40 years I've been waiting for this promise. 40 years. Actually, my ancestors, 400 plus years. And so if I'm going to walk in the promise of God, see, because God delivered them out of Egypt without any doing of their own. None of them had to change their mindset or be full of faith. God did it. Then they wander around the wilderness, and now there's an issue because their mindset is still a fear mindset. Every time there was something negative that happened, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Now God is saying, that's fine for the wilderness, but if you're going to walk in my promises, you've got to reset your mindset. You've got to change your mindset from being sitting in fear and opposition to reset it to being full of faith. That's why the only two that go into the promised land is Joshua and Caleb. Because your mindset is how, what, how you determine your life. So real quick, maybe four ways to change your mindset from fear to faith. Four, four easy, quick ways. Number one is this. You have to speak the truth to the lies you believe. We all believe lies. We all believe pr propaganda. We all believe the enemy's words. We all believe stuff that's not true. And the problem with it is they don't go away on their own. And so you can't not believe every t everything you think. You have to test everything you think. Is this really God's word? You have to test it, especially in this day and age of, of false news and fake news and propaganda and all, false gospels, all this fear-mongering that's out there. You can't believe everything you think. If you do, you'll stay in the wilderness. And so your negative thoughts aren't going to go away on their own, so how do they go away? In Proverbs 8 and 7, it says this, For I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. See, lies do not go away by themselves. They have to be countered. And you don't fight thoughts with thoughts. You fight thoughts with words. Listen to me. You do not fight thoughts. The reason people, do you realize that almost all our mental health issues, anxiety, depression, they're all negative thinking-based things. They're all low mindset-based things. And the reason that kind of propagates is because when you're believing things that aren't true, normally you don't speak out against them. We think we can battle them with more thoughts. Now the brain gets more confused. My mindset gets more scattered. You cannot fight thoughts with thoughts. You have to fight them with words. So Joshua and Caleb said, however, there's giants. He said, oh, yes, there is. But God said it. God gave it. We can overcome it. You have the ability to speak. Not only the only ability, you've been given the commandment to speak in Scripture. I believed, so I spoke, is what Paul said in Corinthians. And so if you're going to defeat negativity, if you're going to defeat fear, it's not going to come by sitting in more fear. We think, oh, if I could just 
if I can just wait this out, it'll go away. The problem is those giants aren't going anywhere. The problem is those negative thoughts aren't going anywhere. You cannot think yourself out of fear. You cannot think yourself out of anxiety. But I believe, so I spoke, but you can speak. Yeah, I know there's giants, but my God is more than enough. I, I know, I know we've been waiting. I know we want to, but God promised us this 40 years ago. He promised our answers 400 years ago. And if God promised it, now I see it. And if I see it, now I know I can walk in it. You have the ability to speak it. Number two, you have to cultivate gratitude instead of complaining. One of the reasons that the Hebrews did not walk in the promises of God was because there are a bunch of complaining, little, whiny kids in the backseat of the car. Could you imagine being Moses? Like day two, they're like, hey, Moses, are we there yet? If you don't shut up and pull this car around. <laughs> Moses, like, yeah, we got some manna, which is literally like pancakes from heaven. Who doesn't want pancakes from heaven? Oh, I'm tired of these pancakes. You know, in Egypt, no, in Egypt you had slavery. Like, it wasn't good food. It was like a Chinese buffet with no food on it. It's not good. But complain, they were complainers. And listen to me. Gratitude is the language of heaven. But complaining is the language of hell. You don't believe me. Over and over again. God disciplined his people more for complaining than almost anything else. Because complaining is aligning your words with Satan. What did Satan do to get kicked out of heaven? He complained that he wasn't on the throne. It's the lane. When you are complaining, you're literally echoing Satan's words. But when you are grateful, you're echoing the words of Jesus. Philippians says this way, do everything without complaining and arguing. Everything. John Baptiste Alfonso Carr said, some people grumble that roses have thorns. I am grateful that thorns have roses. That's wild. Could you imagine, like, could you imagine God? Like, and I, and I think about this sometimes. Could you imagine God? He literally delivers these Hebrews out of Egypt. After 400 years in slavery, they didn't do anything to earn it, deserve it, or get out. He did it all. Gets them in the wilderness. He feeds them. He takes care of them. And all they do is complain. It's almost like if I was God, I'd be like, can I not do enough? Can I not do enough for you? And now you're about to walk in the promised land, and it's everything I promised you, and you're still complaining about that. See, some people just have this spiritual gift of complaining. Of no matter how good it is, they can always find something to complain about. That's why complaining, when you complain, you're literally telling God he's not good enough. When you're complaining, you're literally telling God he's not even blessed you. And what happens is, like, for me, like, if God didn't do anything else for me, the fact he saved me is more than enough. So why would I complain that I'm not getting what I want now? I can tell you why I complain. is because I start thinking God serves me instead of me serving God. And what's interesting with gratitude it literally, gratitude changes the brain to move it from anxiety and fear to faith. I'm talking about Cal Berkeley studies, Harvard Business Review studies, uh, the National Health Association studies. They're all showing that a grateful mind cannot be a stressed mind. It's impossible. 
They literally say, it's absolutely impossible. So the only way I can stay in this mindset of fear is to keep on complaining. <sighs> you, know, you know, God said, but look at all these jobs. Well, God said this, but this. And you complain. But if you're grateful, man, I remember when I was in Egypt. Man, that was terrible. I remember making those bricks, and then Moses showed up. We had to make bricks with no straw. We had to make bricks like this. But then I remember these ten plagues. Man, God moved. And I remember that night that the angel death passed over our children. And our kids could have been dead, but our God is good. Then we walked through that Red Sea, and I watched Pharaoh's armies destroyed. Man, our God is good. I remember we were hungry, and God rained down pancakes. I hopped from heaven. Man, we are thirsty, and the water is bitter. He turned the water sweet. And it's impossible to be fear-minded when you're grateful. Like one of my, my prayer practices is I'm always thanking God before I ever ask him for anything. God, thank you for my wife. She's my greatest blessing. Thank you for my kids. God, thank you for your divine promise. Thank you for saving me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you for your divine knowledge that you know how to connect all things together for good. God, thank you for this. God, thank you for our church. God, thank you for this city. God, thank you for America and our liberties are free. And as long as you're grateful, you can never be fearful. And so the problem is we are a bunch of complainers just like the Hebrews. And that's why our minds are full of anxiety and fear. One person said this, think of your mind like a digestive system. What you put in it impacts how you feel. When you flood your mind with a constant flow of worry, envy, resentment, self-criticism, and a barrage of news and negativity, it impacts your mind and well, mental well-being negatively. But a gratitude practice is like a workout and a healthy eating plan for your brain. Oprah Winfrey, I was going to call her the prophet, but that's probably blasphemous. Oprah Winfrey said, be thankful for what you have and you will end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you'll never, ever have enough. It moves you from fear. It moves you from scarcity to abundance. It moves you from God's not enough to God's more than enough. It moves you. But number three, focus on the promises of God, not the obstacles to the promises. Focus on the promises, not the obstacles. In the age of distraction, focus is a superpower. Do you realize that? That if you have focus, you are already ahead of 90% of Americans. If you, can just, if you can work without looking at your phone the entire time, you get a raise. Like, that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> like, do you know how many people at restaurants are like, I just wish somebody would. No, they're, you go to McDonald's, public. Like, if in an age of distraction, focus is a superpower. And what focus is, focus, what you focus on, you empower. Get this, what you focus on, you empower. You give it power in your life. And so when you're sitting in a chair of fear, all you're focusing on are the giants, the obstacles, the adversity, the bad report, the bad news that God is not. You're focus, what you focus on, you make bigger. It's like a magnifying glass. If you focus on the giants, the more you look at that giant, the bigger he gets. The more you look at this, the more you complain and the more it gets. But when you magnify the Lord, the promises get bigger. The giants get smaller. It's like a magnifying glass. I put the magnifying glass up to my circumstances or to my promise. I put my magnifying glass up to the, the fear and anxiety and negativity or worry, or I put it up to God's faithfulness and his character. I have a choice of what I magnify. In Psalm 34, it says this. It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Why? When you come in and worship, you're not singing songs. You're magnifying the Lord. Why? 
It's an environment of faith that as you magnify him and his promises and his character and his goodness, your giants get smaller. Your problems get smaller. They may not go away, but now I feel like I can overcome. Because here's the principle. Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies saw the exact same thing. Ten of them magnified the giants in their circumstances. The other two magnified the Lord. Our God gave this to us. See, you can see the giants as bigger than the grapes, or you can see the grapes bigger than the giants. And with my God, the grapes are always bigger than the giants. It may look like it's bad, it may look like it's difficult, but my God promised it, and these grapes, it takes two men to carry these grapes. It's going to take one man to slay this giant. Your grapes are bigger than the giants you face. As a believer, you should be so full of faith that no matter what the enemy brings along your way, you can say, you may be big, but my God is bigger. This situation may be difficult, but my grapes are bigger. You get to choose what you focus on. And what you focus on, you empower. And last but not least, number four is this. Remember that your God is with you. Remember that your God is with you. Joshua 1, 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, the only reason I can stay, the only way I can stay in this chair of fear is to forget that my God is with me. Because if I know that my God is with me, I know I can overcome whatever's in front of me. And so what happens, when I've seen people with a negative mindset, a low mindset, a fear mindset, a doubt mindset, it always goes back to this. They forget that God is with them. And fear always wins when you forget about God. But the moment I remember, oh, do not be feared, fearful. Do not be dismayed, for I'm with you wherever you go. It moves me into this chair of faith that if he was with me in Egypt, oh, he's with me now. If he was with me in the wilderness, oh, he's with me now. And if he was with my ancestors when they made a promise, oh, he's with me now. See, when you remember that God is with you, it gives you the faith to overcome whatever's in front of you. So that means we have to write our problems in sand, but write the faithfulness of God in stone. So that way when it comes up, no, no, my God has not left me. My God has not forsaken me. My God is with me. He has never left me. He's never forsaken me. And so you always have to make sure you add God to the equation. Yeah, Pastor, you don't know, but you know, I got a report. I got cancer. Yeah, but add God to the equation. Yeah, Pastor, our, our marriage is on the rocks. And I don't know if it's going to. Yeah, but add God to the equation. Yeah, Pastor, our finances are in a bad spot. Yeah, yeah, but add God to the equation. Hey, my, my kids are leaving for college. Yeah, but add God to the equation. Like, look at, look at America. Look at our culture. Yeah, but add God to the equation. See, anxiety and fear crank up when you remove the God variable. But faith increases when you add the God variable to whatever equation you're facing in your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for one quick second. In a second, we're going to pray for all our kids going back to school. We just want to cover them and anoint them, but you in this room, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Maybe you've been sitting in the chair of fear for too long. <laughs> and as you sit in the chair too long, it becomes to, it begins to form to your contours. It becomes part of you. Maybe you believe that your mindset, you can't change your mindset because that's just how you are. It's how your parents raise who you are. 
Well, God is calling you, much like you did the, the 12 spies, to get up out of the chair of fear into the chair of faith so you can walk in the promises that, listen, Jesus paid for you to have. It's not some dangling care. Jesus paid the price, paid it all for you to walk in the promises of God. And how you receive those is by you step out of that chair of fear and doubt. You say yes to Jesus, confess your need for him and your sin, and repent, which means change your mind set to following Jesus through the Jordan River, past the giants, into your promise. So that's you. I'm not going to have you come forward this morning. I'm not going to have you stand up. Says me, Pastor, I just want to see so I can pray for you in a second, but also point you in the next direction. Says me, Pastor, I, I need that fresh start. I need that new beginning to start walking in my promises with Jesus. Thank you. I just want you to slip your hand up real quick. Well, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I'm going to pray in just a second. But here's what I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask you, hey, don't let this be a decision, let this be a journey. Begin walking with Jesus out of fear, out of anxiety, out of doubt, out of negativity, into the promises of God. And so we got some resources to help you out at Connection Point. If you'll stop by there. But Father, we thank you so much. That you are a God that never leaves us nor forsakes us. But right now, Father, I'm just thinking of Joshua and Caleb and the, the expectation that came with seeing the promised land. Father, I pray right now for a vision for those people that just raised their hand to seeing the promised land in front of them. And I pray, Father, as they confess their need for you, they repent, they change their mind, their mindset, that you cleanse them of all doubt, all sin, all unrighteousness, and you place in them a heart of flesh that is moldable and malleable to your touch, and that you lead them from glory to glory and grace upon grace. In the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. I, I need you to stand to your feet just real quick. If I our lay pastors, any elders, any staff, I want you to come down front. We're going to... We want to pray and anoint every single kid in our church. This guy, we're going to do this in about three to four minutes. So why are we doing that? Because the school can be a great place or a bad place. We want our kids to be set apart to the things of God and the purposes of God. And so we just want to cover them. We're going to anoint them with oil. We're just going to take a little bit of oil pray for them just to protect them and set them apart. That God will use them. God will choose them. God will uh, use them in incredible ways. And the anointing is not just... Uh, for ordination. It's for protection. It's for God's purposes. And so we want to walk that. So we're going to go and worship in a second and just pray over them. So you down front, if you'll just take a little bit of oil, just anoint them as oil. I'll pray over them and we'll go into worship in just a second. I think sixth through eighth grade is coming. If you're a high school or college kid, I want you to come down as well. So sixth grade through college age, I want you to come down. We just want to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil and pray for you as well. And then once they get in place, guys, you can just kind of go around them. You don't have to stop and pray. Just make sure you anoint them and touch them. Kids, this is what you call uh, COVID 19 kids.
I'm going to begin praying and y'all can begin touching. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the blessing of life and for children and the purpose you place in every single one of these children. Even in Jeremiah 1, you knew them before they were ever conceived in their mother's womb. You knew their purpose. They've been consecrated. They've been set apart. And right now, Father, as they go into these schools, we pray right now for your protection over their bodies, their minds, their lives. Father, over their minds, no, no anxiety, no distress, no depression, no worry, no fear creeps in. Father, over their bodies, there's no harm, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no attacks. Father, we pray against school shootings, pray against school bullies. Father, we pray their bodies are perfectly set apart for your purposes. Father, for their spirits to be anointed for your purpose, for your goodness. Father, I pray they walk into school. They walk in your presence, full of your fruit, full of joy, peace, love, hope, long-serving, patience. Father, I pray you're full of everything you have for them, Father. I pray they are a blessing to their teachers, to their coaches, to their administration, to their classmates. Father, I pray that you use them for your glory and for your goodness. Father, I pray that you give them prophetic words to speak life where death is spoken. You give them strength to stand firm in their faith when their faith is attacked. Father, I pray that you use them for your goodness and for your glory all the days of life in Jesus' name.